story is told of a, a man who was walking along a California beach. He was deep in prayer and he said to the Lord, Lord, in your word you tell us that you'll give us the desires of our heart. So please give me some type of confirmation that you'll grant me what I wish. Suddenly the sky above darkened and the Lord in a booming voice said, I've searched your heart and I think that I can trust that you will not disappoint me because you've been faithful to me, I will grant you your desire. So the man said, well, Lord, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. He goes, but I am afraid to fly and I get seasick in boats. So what I'd like you to do is build a bridge from California to Hawaii so I can drive anytime that I want. And God, deeply disappointed in the request, said, you know, that's impossible. Just think about the logistics. How would the supports ever reach the bottom of the Pacific? Think about all the concrete and the steel that would be wasted on such a bridge. You know, your request is materialistic and disappointing. I could do it, but it's hard for me to justify. Take a little more time and think about it and make another wish. So he thought about it long and hard and said, Well, Lord, I've been married, as you know, four times. And my wives always said that I was insensitive to their needs. So I wish that I could understand women. I want to know how they feel and what they're thinking. I want to know why they cry and how to make them truly happy. I guess the only thing I really want to know, Lord, is how to understand women. And at that, God said... Would you like that bridge to have two lanes or four lanes? <laughs> you know, I'm so glad that God is so specific in His Word that He says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. He doesn't say understand. You know, it's such a story in a funny way reminds us that some things seem impossible until we're confronted with something even more difficult or daunting. You know, the last couple of messages have focused our attention on how God led the Israelites through seemingly impossible situations, how He personally directed them on detours and into dead ends, and how He led them to the point of total desperation so that they would become totally dependent upon Him. And over the past year and a half, as uh, God has led me and all of us through the wilderness of my particular cancer journey, I've learned many truths and truths which parallel what God taught the children of Israel thousands of years ago as uh, they journeyed from Egypt to God's land that He had promised to them. So today in this uh, third and final message of what has become a three-part sermon, uh, we pick up on how God led His people uh, through detours, dead ends, and out of dry holes, and how He took His people from desperation to dependence, and how He wants to do the same in our lives today. If you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter 14, we'll pick up on the account that we began to look at the last time where the Bible says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea. You shall camp in front of Baal-Zephon, opposite it by the sea." For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. 
When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, Why is this, What is this that we've done, that we have let Israel go before serving us? So he made his chariot ready, and he took his people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea. And as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, it is, because, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Then the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And as for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. And as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. You know, thus far through Israel's journey, we've learned that it is often God who leads his people on detours. And uh, taking his, cho- his people on his chosen path, which is often through the wilderness, because he knows that he has a task for us ahead, and he knows our weaknesses, and he needs to toughen us up. It's kind of God's boot camp. And so as we recognize and understand that God takes us through this wilderness, and as he gets us back on this, uh, you know, from the detour, oftentimes we get back on the track and we think, okay, good, we're back on the smooth and comfortable path, path that kind of detours behind us. And then sure enough, wouldn't you know it, he leads us straight into a dead end and bam, it's kind of like, whoa, here we go again. And a dead end's even worse than a detour because at least with a detour, we're moving around in circles and we think that we're getting some, making some progress. But with a dead end, man, we just come straight to the end of all of it and go, okay, wh- what do we do now? And so as we look at this, we learn that, you know, when that desperation sets in and you'll notice that the people became so desperate, they were frightened in verse 10 and it says, so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. And isn't it the way it is in our life? God has to take us to a point where if the detours don't work, then the dead end will get our attention. And that is that when we think something is over, all of a sudden we cry out to the Lord. And he said they were frightened and they cried out. And that's where God wants all of us. He wants us to recognize that, you know, we need to be so desperate in our lives each and every day that we constantly and totally depend upon him. He wants us to bring us to that point of recognizing that, you know, when He's the only thing that we have, He's the only person that we have, we realize He's really all that we've ever needed. And yet that's what it takes to learn the lesson. 
And so when we're frightened, it says they were frightened and they cried out to the Lord. And he said to Moses, in contrast, in verse 13, he says, uh, Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. And so when we get to that point of desperation, we get to that dead end and we're afraid, God says, first and foremost, listen, don't be afraid. And as I mentioned, there are at least 365 references to fear not or don't be afraid in the Bible. One good for every day of the week. And so as we move forward into this new year and we look ahead, we begin to realize that, you know, one of the things that's true of human nature is our susceptibility to being afraid. You know, the economy turns around, we're afraid. Uh, we get to a certain age, we're afraid. We have health issues, we're afraid. We see our children make bad decisions, we become afraid. And on and on all of these things go. And it's like God says to you and me, listen, don't be afraid. And not only does he say don't be afraid, he says stand still. Stand still, stand by, stand firm, hang on to the promises of God, continue to keep him, you know, where the, the book of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. You know, stay focused on God and His promises. And then he goes on to say that, you know, and after you've done all of these things, he said, now I want you to see the salvation of the Lord. I like that. Don't be afraid. Stand still. And see the Lord's salvation. I want you to see what God is going to do before he's even done it. And men and women, that's what faith is all about. In your Bibles, in the book of Hebrews, we're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. And one of the things that stood out as I was looking at this passage and as I was comparing it to our passage in Exodus is that all through this passage of faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things yet not seen, is the truth and the reality that those things that we haven't seen occur will occur exactly as God said that they will, even though we haven't seen it happen yet, it will come to fruition. And that's what faith is all about. See, if you look at that, you'll see by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that that which is seen was made, not made out of things which are visible. Stop and think about it. The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. And everything that we see today existed in the mind of God before they even existed because He took that which didn't exist and turned it into that which now exists. He made from nothing everything that we see. And the man, we go, whoa, that's not possible. Well, why not? Well, because we know that nothing can come from nothing. Everything's got to come from something. And to that extent, I'll say, I agree with you. It has to come from something. And in the case of the universe and our existence, it came from the very mind of God. That which did not exist, existed in the mind of God, and He made that which we now see visible to those who was invisible prior to that. He goes on and says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and was not found because God took him. For he obtained the witness that was before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And notice, and without faith, 
it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What God is saying is if you want to know God, you must come and seek him as if he existed, even though at the moment that you're seeking him, you can't see him. But the book of Acts says, but he is not far from any one of us. Those who are blind to God and dead in their sins, God puts the desire on our heart to seek after God, though we don't see Him and don't even know that He existed. How many people have cried out in their days and said, God, if you're real, if you exist, if you're really there, I want to know you. I seek you with all my heart. I need to know. If you're really there, forgive me for my sins. If you're really there, make yourself visible to me. If you're really there, make yourself as real to me as you became to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus where Jesus appeared to him. Though he did not see him, he saw him in the flesh and he existed. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things, notice, not yet seen. You're going to build an ark. And for 120 years, you're going to build it. And the reason you're going to build it is because there is going to come a day where it will rain and there will be a flood that will destroy all of humanity. And Noah acted upon what God's word had said, even though he had never seen what God said would happen ever in the history of the world. And how much more should we have faith in the word of God and what God says, who have precedent in history to look back and also the completed word of God to be able to say, hey, you know what? We've never been in the position where Noah was, where God said, you're going to see something that no one in the history of the world has ever seen. It's going to happen. And sure enough, it did. To see that which had never seen as if it had happened before. See, by faith, jumping to verse 17, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promises, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Notice this. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. And Abraham considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. God said to Abraham, offer up your son Isaac to me. And Abraham thought for a moment, said, well, and you got it. And he's scratching his head. Well, God, that's, how can I offer up my son Isaac? Because in Isaac, I will have descendants. And you're telling me to kill Isaac. And yet it's through Isaac, I will have descendants. And the only thing that he could figure out was, well, then he must going to raise him back from the dead because he made a promise that through Isaac I'll have descendants. And if he tells me to kill him, that's not going to stop God. So I'll go ahead and do what God says. And then God will raise him back up from the dead. And he said it was a type of that which was to come. See, it was, it's exciting when you begin to realize that, you know what, every one of these people that are listed here, uh, jump to verse 24, by faith Moses, when he had grown up. I like that. There's a point where all of us need to grow up, isn't it? You know, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Notice, for he was looking to the reward. 
By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Back to the book of Exodus. So what Moses is telling the people and what God tells you and I, and that is this. Hey, you know what? Don't be afraid. Stand by and see what God is going to do even before He has done it. Because if His Word said it's going to happen, it's going to happen exactly as He says. Why? Because God's not like us. We say things often and we don't follow through. But God is not like man. If He says it's going to happen, bank on it. It's going to happen exactly as He says. And so now when we apply it to our own life, we begin to realize, you know what? We don't have to be afraid. We can stand by or stand firm or stand, uh, stand on the promises of God because we know whatever God has told us will come to pass exactly as He said. So now apply it to your life. I'll apply it to mine. I realize that there's a point in time where we've got to look ahead and by faith trust whatever it is that God has told us. See, it doesn't take faith. And I always like people say, well, it doesn't take much faith to look back and believe what God has said after it happened. Actually, it doesn't take any faith to look back and believe what God has done after it's already happened. Because faith is looking ahead to what God has promised to do and believing it today before it happens. You follow me? There's no faith in looking back and seeing how God has worked because we can see how He's worked. Faith is looking ahead and believing what God has said and applying it to our life right here, right now, in the present. And so how we put that all together is is that there's a point in each of our lives where we've got to stop being afraid, we stand firm, we stand by, we see the salvation of the Lord in the future, and that's where I am personally as I ride the cancer coaster. You know, Lord, I'm not afraid. And I'm standing by, I'm standing firm, I'm standing on your promises today in the present, knowing what you have promised for me in the future will come to fruition. I don't know if you will choose to heal me of cancer. I pray that you do. But one thing I do know about my future is that it is secure in your promises. I know that you have said, if I repent of my sins and I turn to you and I seek your forgiveness and your mercy... And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again from the dead, and I trust him as my Savior, that I'm born again and I'm now adopted into your family. And as a child of God, I know that whether I am healed of cancer or not, there is a day coming, unless the Lord comes first, where I am going to die of cancer or other causes. I am going to die. And I know your promises assure me that when I'm absent from my body that I'll be present with the Lord. And yet at the same time, I recognize, as the Apostle Paul did, that there is a point where if you choose to allow me to continue to live, for me to live as Christ and to die is to gain. 
to die to go to be with you is much better than being alive today. But at the same time, my purpose in being here is for the sake of your kingdom and your purposes and for your people and for those who have never heard the gospel that as an ambassador of Christ, I am here and you are here to reach others with the gospel or the ministry of reconciliation, telling people how they can get right with God and then equipping those who have got right with God how they are now to live now in their faith and do the same thing of sharing with other people and living in such a way so that to live is Christ. So when you put this all together, what is there to fear? There's nothing to be afraid of. We stand by and stand firm on the promises of God, and we can see the Lord's salvation today, even though these promises have yet to become reality in my life or your life, but one day we know that they will. Why? Because God says so. And so we live in victory today. And that's why Moses said to the people, hey, you know what? Don't be afraid. Stand by. And I want you to see the Lord's salvation before it even takes place. I want you to visualize what God has promised. See, one of the great stories of no compromise, of standing firm, that I've come across recently is a story of a man who saw the Lord's salvation in that moment of time where he was tested and uh, he was put through persecution. His name was Alexander Crum, and he was the patriarch of the Methodist Church in Estonia. And during the time of Stalin, when the government was being savagely oppressed and persecuted, government leaders came to him and said, Listen, we either want your church to merge with another one, or we're going to dissolve it altogether. And Brother Crumb said, it's not going to happen. And they said, oh, yes, it will. And he said, well, no, it's not. I'm not going to merge with another church that does not teach the doctrines that we hold so dearly. And if you have to destroy us, then you'll destroy us. But there's one thing I'm not going to do, and that is do what you're asking me to do. And they said, you know what? What, what difference does it make? So what difference does it make to you? You know, what's the big deal? If we come and make you merge with somebody else, make it work. Or if we come and shut you down, why don't you just do what we're asking you to do and not bring it to this point of confrontation? And here's what he said. And this is counsel for all the ages. He said this. He says, there's all the difference in the world. If you give me a rope and tell me to hang myself and I do so, then I become responsible. But if you take a rope and hang me, then you're responsible. And that's the difference between the two. And that is true for us today. If you are asked to compromise, then you're responsible if you choose to do so. If somebody forces you to do something against your will, then they're responsible and accountable before God. But it makes all the difference in the world. And so we stand firm, we stand fast upon the principles and the conviction that we have in the Word of God. And that's what it means to, you know what, don't be afraid. The only reason people compromise is because they're afraid. The only reason people compromise is because they don't stand on the Word of God. Another reason they compromise is because they don't look ahead to the future to see God's deliverance and His victory and His promises at that moment in time. And so just as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego experienced generations earlier, this brother knew and he saw the Lord's salvation even before it occurred. He got sent to prison for 25 years. 
But during the course of his time in prison, the church just took off and grew as it always does during times of persecution. And after five years, he was miraculously set free. But he understood what it meant to stand firm on the promises of God, not to be afraid, to look forward and see the Lord's salvation. And, and it also has to do with the last thing, the dilemma of dead ends. When we get to that dead end, not only should we fear not, not only should we stand still or stand by, uh, not only should we look forward to the Lord's salvation and, and experience it in the present tense, but he also says in verse 15, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. I love that. God didn't act until the Israelites obeyed his word to cease their fear and to stand still. And once they did that, it was time to move ahead. In his autobiography entitled, While I'm on My Feet, Gerald Kennedy concludes with this powerful observation. He says this, We can assume only two positions in the presence of God. One is on our knees, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the other is on our feet, saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Those are the only two positions we can ever have before God. On our knees or on our feet. And there's a time to get off our knees and a time to get on our feet. See, and that's what God was saying to Moses. Why are you standing crying out to me? It's time to move ahead. See, that's a beautiful picture of the Christian life. You know, we're on our knees or we're on our feet in response to God's call. We're being still. We're holding our peace before God to gain perspective and strength. Or we're going ahead at His command. As Paul said, to press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so as I think about that, really there's, there's only two positions that we all should be in right now. We're either on our knees seeking God's perspective or we're moving forward following God's leading. But we're doing one or the other. See, and that was, you know, think about it, that was no easy task. I mean, they were at the end of the road. They were at a dead end. They were standing before the sea and the army was marching behind them and the mountains were on each end of them and they looked ahead and God saying, move forward. It's like, hey, can't you see what's ahead? To see the difference between what man saw and what God saw is that God had already seen in his mind what he was going to do and all man saw was the water still ahead of him. And so God said, hey, it's time to move forward. And listen, folks, there is a time for all of us where prayer is essential to gain perspective, to get that peace that we're talking about, to understand where it is that God is leading. But you know what? If we don't get off our knees and follow God's leading in our life, then prayer is just a farce. It is hypocritical. God, I seek your leading, but I'm not going anywhere once you tell me which way to go. No, there's a time where it's like, you know what, you need to go. And one thing that we learn about God is that God only gives us enough light so we can take the next step. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I praise Him and thank Him for that. I don't know about you, but would you want God to say, listen, here's what your whole life is going to be like. You know, from Scripture, the only person that I, that I can recall where God laid out the entire plan for the future 
was in the book of Revelation. And John, when he saw what God had ahead for him, fainted like a dead man. I mean, you know, I'll just tell you right now. A year and a half ago, when I first found that lump in my groin, if God would say, okay, here's, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have this surgery, then that surgery, then this radiation, then this treatment. Then you're going to have another surgery. Oh, and then it's going to your lungs. And you're going to have three lung surgeries. And we're going to cut out the lower part of your lung. I'd be like, you know what? Can we just take this on a day-to-day basis? Just, just let's go on the need-to-know basis. And that's where we all are. So shouldn't we be grateful for that? I don't want to know what's ahead. All I want to know is he knows what's ahead and I'll trust him as he leads us in this journey. Isn't that the best place to be? That's the best place to be. He, he, as we take one step of faith, he goes, okay, now you can take... Hey, you, ever, you ever see that movie, um, Indiana Jones? Classic. Loved it. The first Indiana Jones movie. The very first one. I know it's gonna, we're going to have to think a little bit and, and, and you know, but um, we're going to try. But if, if you remember the movie, there was a scene in the movie that was one of my favorite parts because it relates to this. Indiana Jones comes to this chasm and there's this big drop. It's like thousands of feet deep. We don't even know how deep it is yet. It's just deep. And, uh, and he has to get to the other side. And the guy that's running with him tells him, go ahead and just step off. Like, step off? What are you, nuts? And he goes, and he, and he, but he doesn't have a choice. So it's kind of like the Israelites, there's the Red Sea in front, the army's behind. God's saying, go in the water. It's like, well, you know what, let's see, do we want to get killed by the Egyptians or do we want to drown? Well, either way, I'd say pick your poison. So it's like God says go straight, so they're going to go straight. So he, he takes this step, and I'm not going to do this, but he takes this step, and as he steps, this path comes out over this chasm. And he takes a step and he's standing on it. And you can see this look on his face like, oh, this is cool, glad it's here. But he's not quite sure yet. So he stops and he goes back to where there's dirt. And he goes like this. And throws it out in front of him just to see, you know, if something lands on it, you know, it's going to keep showing up. And I, and I kind of feel that's the way I am sometimes, you know, in trusting God. It's like he says, go ahead, forward. And I take the step and there's solid ground and it's firm. And there's, you know, and he's leading us, he's guiding us. But I want to kind of go back and throw a little dirt out there just in case. It's like, hey, you set me up, you know. And it's just a, it's just a distorted view of God. And many of us have a distorted view of God. We think that God is setting us up to, 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 to fall. And see, that's what was wrong with, with, with the Israelites. They had come to the conclusion, like, well, what's, God, what's wrong with you? You brought us out into the wilderness to die. Why didn't you just let us die back there? Why are you putting through us through all this so that we can die? God's like, I didn't bring you out in the wilderness to let you die. Chuck, I didn't bring you to where you are today. That's not reasonable, it's not rational, and it's not biblical. I didn't bring you to where we are today to let you die in the wilderness. I have a purpose and I have a plan. Trust me. Step out in faith and move forward one step at a time. And I will lead you, I will guide you, I will uphold you. I will comfort you. I will give you strength in your times of weakness. When are you going to learn in your desperation to be totally dependent upon me? And that's where God has us. See, Moses obeyed and he saw the salvation of the Lord. And you won't find anywhere in Scripture where God tells his people to go to retreat. To run backwards as he's leading. 
God never led anybody running backwards in fear. He said, follow me and trust me and see the salvation of the Lord. And on top of that, hey, move forward. And so I, I apply it to my life. Linda and I apply it to our life. There are times where we, we just stopped. There are times where we said, you know what? We need to pray about this. I don't know what to do. I don't know the direction to go. What do you think? What is God saying to you? Let's get counsel from our doctors. Let's seek counsel from, from others. Let's seek counsel and let's pray about this. And Lord, give us a peace. And it's like, you know what? Should we have surgery or not have surgery? Should we do this treatment or not do this treatment? What should we do? And there's times where, you know what? You have to allow God to individually lead you. And I know people go nuts with that because it's like, well, wait a minute, but listen. If we trust God's leading and we trust those he puts in our life, and there's safety in a multitude of counsel, is it not reasonable to come to the conclusion that, you know what, between all of these safety mechanisms that he has given us, that when we finally have a piece about the direction we go that doesn't violate the revealed will of God and the word of God, that doesn't violate even his own leading in our own life, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when we're on the same page, as, a, as a, especially when we're married and God has given you one more safety valve to where, you know, he doesn't lead one without the other. And so when we're together, Linda, what's God saying to you? And, our, you know, and we got to the point where it's like, no, you know what, let's wait on this. Okay, now, you know what, now we better move ahead. And we do. And we trust him in the leading. Does that mean we know how it's going to turn out? No, I have no idea. But I... But I praise him that he's walking us through the process. That he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death. So that we'll fear no evil for he's with us. His rod, his staff, they comfort, they direct, they point us in the right direction. And when we get off track, taps us on the side and says, move back over this way. See, that's the way all of it works. See, God turned the Dead Sea into an eight-lane superhighway. To Hawaii, through the middle of it all, he did the impossible. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? He asks of the prophet Jeremiah. See, he leads us on detours, he leads us into dead ends, and he, and he does so to move us from desperation to total dependence upon him. He takes us to what seems to be impossible, that he can be honored and glorified through our life and by his works. That's exactly what he was doing. And so now, if detours and dead ends aren't difficult to deal with, look what happens within three days after God's miraculous deliverance of his people from Pharaoh's uh, army. You know, what's amazing is the rest of this passage in chapter 14 talks about how God delivered his people. The first half of chapter 15 talks about how they just praised him. Wow, God, you're awesome. Man, we saw your hand in everything. We saw how you lifted up the seas, how you dried the land, how we walked through, how you destroyed our enemies. Oh, God, you are awesome. You know, it's like from desperation to dependence, and we can totally depend on you. We're never going to doubt you anymore. We're always going to trust you. We're going to walk in faith with you. And within three days, this is what happens. Look at verse 22. Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and he went out into the wilderness of Shur and there they went three days in the wilderness and they found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter and therefore it was named Marah. 
So they, the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. And there he made for them a statue and also regulations and tested him. And I want you to recognize and understand, within three days of this tremendous, unbelievable, miraculous deliverance from Pharaoh and his his army, they were led by God into the wilderness. See, it's absolutely imperative for us not to forget that God was still leading his people. They, had beca- they hadn't become lost. They haven't misread the map. God was leading Moses. Moses was chosen by God to lead the people. Therefore, ultimately, it was God who was leading his people. And now they came, and within three days, after this great song of deliverance, within three days, they said, what's up? And they started complaining again. And if that's not a picture of humanity, I don't know what is. How many times in your life has God delivered you? You're on a detour, took you to the dead end, and man, you know what? He opens the door for you and you go, wow, God, you're awesome. I think I can really start to trust you. Three days go by. Then you come to this dry hole. You come to this place where you're thirsty and you've been wor- walking and you're tired and you go and there's water there and you can't drink it because it's bitter. And the first thing you do is what? Start complaining about God again. It's like, you know what? When, God, are you going to get your act together? I mean, when are you going to start leading me in a direction? And you've got to remember and understand the reason God led them to the dry hole was so that he would test them. Verse 25. He tested them. Moses had gone from a hero to zero overnight. He had gone from the penthouse to the outhouse. I know I read this and I just laugh because it reminds me of professional sports. We all love people one day, and then you're not even, you know, it's not even the next day or the next game. It could be the same game. You know, the guy, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like the guy for the Chargers last night, right? I mean, he could kick three field goals during the game, and then he misses the last one, and it's like, that guy stinks. It's like, I don't know what they were doing. I don't know why they didn't just try to score a touchdown. Why didn't they just keep running the ball or passing the ball or throwing the ball? No, that's because he missed. Now, if he would have made it, he'd have been like, oh, you're our hero. See, that, that's the way we are. And you know what's so amazing is as fickle as we are towards one another, we're just as fickle and even more so towards God. You know, God, thanks for delivering me from this. And now, what is that? What is that? Start complaining and moaning and groaning. And this place was called bitter because the water was bitter. But let me just share something with you that is so relevant. Because the question is this. How do you handle such tests from God? And this is powerful. And when you get a chance, I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 13, on your own, because I want you to recognize and understand one of the most heinous sins before God is the sin of complaining, is the sin of grumbling, is the sin of murmuring. How do you handle that test when God takes you on a detour When God brings you to a dead end, when God brings you to a dry hole, how do you handle that test?
Do you grumble and complain before God? See, we, we live in a world of chronicle groaners. And we can't get any more relevant and practical than this. When the people complained against Moses, they complained against God. Because God was leading them through Moses. So their complaints weren't at Moses at all, but they would rather complain about Moses than go straight to God. But it was really God who they were complaining about, but they didn't want to admit it. When a, when a child complains about his or her parents, they're really complaining about God's choice of leadership in their life. When a church complains about its pastor or its elders or its leaders, you're not complaining about me or a group of us. You're really complaining to God. Because if God has chosen us to lead, as He chose Moses to lead, and as we lead according to His direction and according to His will, that I've got to preface that, make sure that we're on target biblically, and you may come to a place you don't like, and you start to complain, you're not complaining about anything towards me or towards us. You're complaining to God. When you complain at work about a boss, you're really grumbling against God. When we complain as a society against our government, we're really grumbling and complaining against God. And God, you, you know, he, he takes that list, that complaining and grumbling and murmuring, and he lists it with sins like idolatry and homosexuality and, and fornication. And when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you realize it was this grumbling and moaning that laid a precedent or an example for you and I today to look back. And what God says is, you know what? When I lead you to a detour, when I take you to a dead end, when I lead you to a dry hole, I'm testing you to see whether you really trust me, whether you really really love me, whether you really believe in me, whether you're really following me, because here's what I want to know. I want to know when you come to that detour and that dead end and that dry hole, will you still praise me and honor me with your lips or will you complain and moan and groan like the Israelites did? That's the test. How are you doing? It's so easy to complain. It's so easy to moan and to groan. It's so easy to be bitter. And I want you to let that word bitter to, to reflect everything, every circumstance in your life. It's a place of circumstances and events and experiences which often come to us on life's journey. You know, I think about this cancer coaster and I go, wow, you know what? It all starts with, hey, the good news from the very beginning. We got it and we got clear margins. We cut it out of your groin and there's clear margins, but the margins are pretty narrow. But you know what? Hey, praise God, clear margins. Hey, but you know what? The margins aren't clear enough. We need to go to radiation. 32 radiation treatments later. Hey, you know what? It hasn't returned to your groin. Praise God. Lord, thank you for delivering me from that. And then the next scan says, oh, you know what though? But now you've got three spots in, in your lung. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Then we have the first lung surgery. Many of you are there and you've been through this process. And it's like, hey, and those two things were just sitting right there. And the doc goes in and, you know, he just picks them right off and he takes them out. And, hey, praise God. We got those things, man. It was, oh, it was, it was amazing. Six weeks later, you got five more. Hmm. But you know what? We'll start to do the therapy. We'll start to do the immune therapy. Hey, you know what? They're starting to shrink. Lord, praise God. Thank you for delivering us from that. Oh, but you know what? Now your doctor got sick and he left. And now, you know what? Now they're getting bigger again. Oh, 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 oh. We'll start it all over again. 
All right. Oh, you know what, though? But we're going to go ahead and we're going to do this thing where we're going to stick needles through your chest. And I know it doesn't sound really good, but this is not a bad thing. Say, <laughs> so, okay, we'll burn them out. We'll burn them out. And you know what? And he goes, you know, but you know what? But we're not. We're going to go ahead and try it. We've never done it to anybody at this, low, at this hospital, but we're going to go ahead and try that. <laughs> hey, okay. But you know what? That was an answer to prayer. And then we're laying out in the gurney. He goes, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do because I think maybe it's spread to your liver. Huh. Oh, you know what? We'll go ahead and do it anyway. Yay! Praise God again. <laughs> hey, praise God. Hey, we did it. You know what, man? Those things just rolled right off of there. It was great. You know, praise God. Oh, you know what, though? But hey, the one that's there now has grown again. So let's go ahead and do the treatment. Hey, it's shrinking. Praise God. Hey, now they're growing. Oh, there's more. It's bigger. It's three times bigger. But that's all right. The last time we'll go in and now we'll just cut the whole thing out because then it's just all in this one area. You've got clear margins. Praise God. You still got three more. Hmm. See, here's the thing. And I, and I hope that I'm making this as clear as possible so you can see the roller coaster effect of what we go through in life. And that is this. Do we just praise God when we get the news we want to hear? Or do we praise God no matter what the news is? That's the test. That's the test. Are you praising God for everything? Have you got to the point in life where like Job, you can say, Lord, even if you slay me, I will trust in you. Or are you just a praise God on your terms person? See, the Israelites were praise God on their terms people. Delivered us from the enemy? Praise God. Took us to water we can't drink? Well, you know, it should have left us in Egypt. Yeah, you know, it was better back there. We really liked the shackles. We really liked getting beat every day. We really liked all of that. We loved their food. We hated their food. We're sick of leeks and onions. But you know what? And that's not over yet. And it's not over yet. See, you know, you need to ask yourself the question, when you come to the dry hole, that bitter place, when your relationships aren't going what, like you'd like them to go, can you praise God? When your children as a parent choose to do things that, you know what, that break your heart. You know what's been said? That a parent can only be as happy as his or her unhappiest child. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It breaks our heart when we see our children make decisions that you know are wrong before God and that are just taking them down that path that seems right, but its end is destruction. But can you still praise God in the midst of that? When God takes you to the dead end of your jo- at your job, and there's no more promotions, or maybe there's no more job, can you still praise Him? When He takes you to that news and that scan that all of a sudden it's not an encouraging one. You know, it's gone from bad to worsening of condition, as one of my minds said. Can you still praise Him in the midst of that? Will you make a commitment before God today to become a person who will praise God in the midst of all your circumstances. That's what God wants of us. That's what God demands of us. And you know what? That's what God deserves of us. 
Because if we're not afraid and we're standing firm to the promises of God and we're seeing today the Lord's salvation that has yet to occur in the future, that He who began a good work in us will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, then you know what? How can you not help but praise God? We know how it all turns out. We read the book. And we've read this as an example so that we can see it. See, disappointment and despondency and discouragement and desperation sum up the problem of dry holes. But I want you to see as we put all this together, the provision. And that is this, that God comes to us at Mara. He comes to us at our dry hole. They went from triumph to trouble so that God could test them and teach them about Him and about their own weaknesses that they were blind to. God will come to us at that bitter dry hole if we are desperate and cry out and depend upon Him. See, you notice that. Moses, in verse 25, cried out to the Lord. And notice what he did. And the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters. And the waters became sweet. The Lord showed him a tree. And I can't help but think that it is a type and a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is that righteous branch. Jesus is the one who died upon a tree. There was type and symbolism. And what Moses was saying was, you know what? Everything we need is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Everything. He's all that we need. He's all that God has given us. He's all that is required. And the provision was already there if they would have just chosen to look to see it. Just like today, God's provision of forgiveness and mercy in Jesus Christ is there for everyone in the world who are looking to see. Those who have turned their heads and those who have shut their eyes will not see what they can't see because they're not looking. Those who look shall see. Those who call out, they will be heard and not be disappointed. He said the provision is already there. Take it and throw it into the water. And the water was made sweet. As I said, let's be reasonable. You think God brought these people out into the wilderness to let them die without God fulfilling his purposes? That's not reasonable. You think God has brought you from where He has brought you to this point in time to stop now and not complete what He promises to complete in you? That's not reasonable. It's not logical. It's not biblical. And one last thought. He said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which I have put on the Egyptians... For I, the Lord, am your healer. If you do what's right before God, 
you will be protected from a myriad of problems that the world experiences. And I, the Lord, am your healer. And notice this. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. See, God saw the oasis that they couldn't see. And all he was trying to do was get them to trust him. See, God sees the end of the road for me that I can't see, but his word clearly defines. He sees the oasis while we look at the bitter water. He sees what's in store while we stay focused on the temporal instead of that which is eternal. That's why Paul said, I can't consider the pain and suffering this life worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. Because our life is like a vapor. We're here one minute and gone the next. I mean, how, how bad can it be when we've got eternity before us? So, see, we need to start to become people who see the oasis while we're in the midst of the desert. Because we know that it is there. In closing, a true story. Alexander Solyanitsyn. Alexander Solyanitsyn was imprisoned in a Russian gulag. And while he was there, he had gotten so despondent about what was going on in his life that he contemplated suicide. When he was arrested by Stalin's secret service and he was you know, shipped to a labor camp in Siberia, one can only imagine what it was like to live in those conditions. And he contemplated suicide and he had come up with a plan that nobody knew about, but he had come up with it in his own mind and basically it was this. He knew that if he went and just laid down on the ground and wouldn't get up when the guards told him to get up, that the guards would probably take the shovel that he was using to do the digging and take the shovel and just beat him to death. And he had come to the point where, you know what, that was the only way he can commit suicide was to do something in such a way that would invoke such anger that they would kill him, but really it was at his own request that it was being done. And as he was thinking about this and contemplating this, he was sitting down on the ground while they were taking a break. And he said that he felt this figure come by him and he didn't really look up and he didn't see who it was. And then as he, as he looked up and peeked up, he saw a man kneel down in front of him and he just made in the dirt a cross. And he said as he looked at the cross, he began to realize that, you know what? There was no other hope outside of Jesus Christ. That all of his hope and all of his faith and all of his trust would have to be in God. And so he said that at that moment in time, it motivated him to continue to go on, even though his circumstances were still dreadful. But he realized that, you know what, his hope was in Christ. And he wasn't going to get up and give up without God's leading in his life. And he got up that day and he didn't get beat and he didn't get killed. And he went on to become one of the greatest voices and spokesperson for freedom that this last century has ever known. He was in prison for life. And within one week of that day, he was sitting in Geneva, Switzerland. He had been miraculously freed as God's people had been in constant prayer before God for his freedom. And he looked back and thought, one week ago, 
My situation was so desperate. I wanted to put and take things in my own hands and figure a way to end it. He goes, and as I saw the cross, I began to realize that my desperation should become total dependence upon God. And within a week, he was free. And he thought, what a tragedy it would have been because nothing that he had to share with the world would ever have been found out if he had given up and not turned his dependence, uh, t- turned his desperation into dependence upon God. Men and women, God brings us to a point of desperation through detours, through dead ends, through dry holes, so that you and I will recognize our need to be totally dependent upon Him. From desperation to dependence. When you find yourself between a rock and a hard spot, you're in good hands because it's God who has hemmed you in. And now He says, look up. Look up. I'm there for you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you with my victorious right hand. Never be so desperate that you're not dependent upon God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the example of your people as you led them through the wilderness to the land which you had promised them. God, it's my prayer for your people today that you take us through detours and into dead ends, into dry holes, that you will test us so that we will know what's really in our hearts. God, may we become people who praise you in everything. Detour, praise God. Dead end, praise God. Dry hole, praise God. People who become so desperate that we become totally dependent upon you. And we know through that you will be honored and you will receive glory. Amen.